to episode 49 of the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast. As always, I am your host, Chris Hales. Glad to be bringing you another episode of the show that features your original classical guitar music. On this show, I feature original classical guitar pieces from around the globe, sent in by listeners like you. If you'd like to have a piece featured on the show, you just simply send an mp3 recording to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. Got a nice show for you today, got some new music. I mentioned a little while ago that I had never played anything by Morel. And at the time I acknowledged that, you know, that made me somewhat lesser of, maybe not necessarily a player, but definitely lesser of a a learned classical player, if you will. (laughs) You know, that's a pretty big name in the guitar world that I had not particularly looked into much. You know, I I have some recordings and I've always enjoyed, I've really enjoyed when I've heard his pieces played live. You know, I've I've been to several recitals where someone's programmed a handful of Morel pieces and I always enjoy them. But I'd never taken them on myself anyway, so I, I got up into my sheet music shelf that I have in my office and there's a few Morel pieces in there, so I pulled one out and this, this one volume that has two pieces in it and I read through each of them and decided the second one would be a good one to take on. I really liked them both but the second piece in the book is called Little Rhapsody and right away I was more drawn to this piece. Absolutely my cup of tea and kind of what I needed. I've been very much in a, a zone. I've, I've had this... Um, routine going for a while now and it involves uh, daily practice you know usually I get in about four days a week of practice (laughs) with each day focused on a particular piece I wish I had time to like practice everything in one day like I used to but I, I just don't that's not a realistic goal for me anymore and for quite a while I had been you know playing just like one piece but what I realized works for me to satisfy me as a guitarist and as a composer but also is not too much to take on is I I do a daily practice but I but I focus on one piece and I've been I I've had a Bach piece going for this has probably been like the last two years a Bach piece a Villalobos etude a composition day where I just work on composing something and then finally a, a, a like reworking a, something into my fingers that I've learned before but haven't played in a while. So that's involved. I mean, that's kind of been changing like once a month. I can usually get something back into my fingers pretty quick. So I've been playing a lot of like Taroba pieces and uh, that's actually been a lot of fun. Right now that piece is filled by the Mertz Hungarian fantasy. But that hasn't really left a lot of room for you know exploring newer pieces like like the Bach is new but it's I've been working on uh, transcribing some Bach music and then working it into my fingers and that's and I've been doing the um, the D minor partita for solo violin the one that the famous Chacon comes from I know there are already transcriptions out there but I wanted to do my own and so um, I have. I started with the Chaconne. No, I started with the Alamond. 
then did the Chacon, and then I jumped back. I've been going through them all. So the, I'm on the Jig, and that's the last one. And I got to tell you, the Jig has kind of taken the wind out of my sails. Like, <laughs> I've, I've kind of... I would like to see this project through to the end, but I the Jig is pretty hard. It doesn't fall onto the guitar as well as the others do. It's taking a little more thinking <laughs> and problem solving but then even after that it's difficult and it's I've had a hard time finding the motivation with that one and then the Villalobos pieces you know that's that's been a, a long-term project that's going and that's all great but I wouldn't I wouldn't call any of that really new music this is music I've been at least familiar with for years you know so when I finished this piece I had written a few months back and then I was working it into my fingers to really you know to prepare to record it I just I I started to not like it I started to mess around with it some more and it kind of just hit this thing so so the piece is done and I can't figure out what it is about it that I'm not liking and what I need to change but it's something so in place of composition I decided to kind of take a break. So anyway, that's where this Morel piece has come into play. I've started working on this little Rhapsody by Morel, and somehow I need to get the composition back into the rotation. Uh, that's very important to me. So I don't know if it's going to be either Bach is going to have to step aside for a little while, or maybe the reworking of the older pieces, but I, I don't think I can take on more than four pieces of like intense practice unless I'm doing a lot of older stuff that I've already played before but but this Morel piece is awesome and it's uh, really kind of I would say rekindled a little bit of motivation in me little little joyous is kind of something new it's challenging but it's very idiomatic um, as from my understanding his stuff tended to be should make sense he actually played the guitar so anyway I, I thought I'd share that with you I'm finally after all these years taking on a morel piece I'm doing little Rhapsody and I'm loving it and there's been some uh, you know I've, when I take on a new piece I usually will start uh, I'll read through it I'll start working it for a while before I start listening to recordings I don't like to listen to recordings too early on because they can tend to influence my interpretation if I do that. I'd, I kind of like to get familiar with the piece and then start seeing what other people have done with it. And then I might take ideas from them, but I, but I don't like to have the piece shaped in my mind based on a performance. You know, sometimes, like, like, like you know, I might have heard pieces, of course, and then thought, oh, I want to learn that. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm pulling something off the shelf that I've never heard before... I usually try to read it through, become familiar with it, even start working on fingerings and stuff before listening to recordings. Anyway, so I was confused about, there's a few bars in this piece where there's confusion over an F sharp versus an F natural. Uh, if you go by the ink, it is an F natural, but it, the fingering he gives would indicate that it was supposed to be an F sharp. So I was playing it both ways and I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be F sharp based on the fingering. I mean, it's pretty clear, but 
it kind of sounds cool with an F natural. I mean, it, it kind of works, and it's it's not obvious like it would be with, like, you know, if it was Mozart. <laughs> but uh, I I pulled up some YouTube recordings, and <laughs> there's not many. Uh, he record he wrote the piece for David Russell, and as far as I can tell, I can't find any record of David Russell having recorded it. Uh, but so it would have been nice because David, I would have I would have deferred to whatever David chose to do. But I've found recordings both ways, and uh, so I've ultimately decided I believe it was Morel's intent that it was an F-sharp. That's what I'm going with. But it's a great piece. I'm also not really sure if it was written in the 90s or the 70s, because the printing is from the 90s, and the date would appear that it was written in, like, 1996. I believe it's, like, signed at the bottom... Morel 96 or something like that, but then on his website I was looking at his catalog, and it was his catalog, and it was cataloged from like 1976 or something like that. So I don't know. Doesn't really matter. It's just more of a somewhat nerdy interest I take. I'm always curious when a piece was written, what was going on in the world while this is being created. You know, things I'm always interested in, things to consider. <clears throat> Speaking of things going on in the world, when I was a kid, I was always, like, really interested in cooking shows. I can't really tell you why. I mean, I still am. I, I like to watch cooking shows. It drives my family crazy. They hate it if I'm ever watching a cooking show because it makes them hungry and they're, you know. But I, I genuinely like to watch cooking shows and, like, get ideas and I like to cook. When I was little, uh, I believe the show I liked was The Frugal Gourmet. It was on, like, PBS. <laughs> and, uh, you know, later on I had watched some others. But uh, when I was a teenager, I started watching Iron Chef, the Japanese, like, cooking competition show. And I recently came across it and have started, like, watching it again. <laughs> And I've been enjoying that very much. And anyway, I just found out that the Iron Chef Chinese from that show passed away the other day. Like, as of this recording, it was like a week ago. And so that's too bad. I, I, I wanted to acknowledge that Chen Kanishi, the Iron Chef Chinese, has, has moved on to the next life. And it made me a little bit sad to find that out. I also finally saw... Halloween ends. So, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I won't go too much, but I, I have to say, I, I got to just share my thoughts about it. Now, if you haven't seen Halloween ends and you care, uh, you might want to pause the podcast, get yourself a very, very tall glass of iced tea, and go watch Halloween ends, and then come on back. Halloween ends was terrible, as I don't know how it could have not been terrible. So, a few years ago, they canceled all the sequels. They said none of that ever happened. They made a, a, a new sequel to the original Halloween movie, and it was like a sequel that takes place 40 years later, and I loved it. I thought it was great. I loved the ending. You know, it wasn't like a perfect movie. It had a few moments that were kind of dumb, but and it had this like one little subplot that was kind of stupid, but where, where like, um, 
the Michael Myers's doctor started to like want to take on Michael's role a little bit anyway but that was such a short small part of the movie that like I hardly I always forget it's in there and 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 then I'm reminded of it when we talk about it or when I watch it again anyway but overall I loved that movie I loved the ending and I thought it was a perfect ending to to Halloween and I then later found out that they were going to make it into a trilogy this new one and I was like well why and how uh, why would you do that that's going to be stupid I mean that was my thought and then came around to the idea I was like all right well let's see what they do you know and uh, so they they made the second one Halloween Kills I saw it I think I talked about it a bit on the show didn't like it thought they had uh, reverted to some of the mistakes they made with the original sequels and also just didn't just wasn't a very good movie overall and then it ended in such a way that I was like well what what are they gonna do now and see like my friend Jeremy who's been on the show to talk horror movies with me his take on Halloween Kills was I need to see where they're going with it before I decide how I feel about it and I was like well okay but what could they do that would make this movie good I I don't understand that to me there was nothing they could do to make this more interesting at this point they've they've decided to go off the rails and it's not coming back and you couldn't bring it back in such a way that's going to be believable or really entertaining in any way in my opinion so we 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 took on halloween kills about an hour into it uh i needed to go get a drink or something i paused the movie and i just looked at my wife and i was like so this movie sucks and she was like yeah this is terrible but we decided we were going to finish it because it's halloween we we need to see it through see how it ends and we also wanted to see if michael myers was ever going to show up into the movie you know and uh there was one point this probably wouldn't mean anything to you if you haven't seen any of these movies but I thought I'd seen Michael Myers riding a motorcycle (laughs) for just a brief moment and I was like it would have been plausible in this movie for that to happen (laughs) and it would have probably made the movie better (laughs) I really wish they would stop uh, dragging these things on and on and if you are gonna keep making Michael Myers movies or any horror movie franchise for that matter I really think the right format was the Friday the 13th way. And many of those sequels were not good. But in general, Friday the 13th didn't worry too much about the timeline making sense. They didn't worry too much about breaking new ground, at least for a while. They just kind of kept making the same movies over and over again. And that's that's what was fun. And I'm okay with that. If you've got fun original ideas make something new that's and and i'm all for it i'll go see it but it seems like uh no mostly what i'm seeing these days in horror are just kind of meh ideas and then a lot of like just redoing old things and and making them worse and it i can't see any logical reason for it other than we can't come up with any good ideas so we're just going to take great ideas from the 80s and do them again there's certainly exceptions to that but Halloween ends put me in a bad mood man actually that's not totally true I thought it was kind of funny I 
in the same way that when I saw the Elvis movie and for a few days couldn't stop thinking about how much I really liked that movie, how much that movie kind of got to me in, in a way that like left a good taste in my mouth and wanted to see it again. The same thing happened with this movie, but it was like the opposite. I keep thinking about how bizarre and bad it was. <laughs> it's not one I'd recommend. And it's not one I'd ever care to see again. Alright, so we've gone from Morel to Michael Myers. How about we go to some email? I have just a nice short little email here from... Uh, you know, a, a contributor to the show, Freya Shaw. She's been featured in a few episodes. She says, hello, Chris. It's been a while. Happy New Year. I hope you are very well, and I have a lot more music to be sharing with you this year. Thank you, and enjoy your day. I'd just like to say thank you, Freya. I always appreciate a nice little note like that. I am having a nice New Year, and we are being abundantly blessed with moisture, <laughs> and I'm trying to be grateful about it because we've been in a drought, and we are not experiencing drought conditions right now. I mean, I don't know what this is going to do for the overall situation uh, because we have problems with, you know, very low water levels in some critical lakes and stuff. But, man, we have gotten a lot of snow. We have a really nice snowpack and also some rain. And it's wonderful, but, man, I could use a sunny day. I'm not kidding. It's getting... It's getting a little bit difficult but I did I got me a new pair of waders I've decided it's time to get out and do some fishing I have not been able to take the boat out yet as that I believe all the lakes are still pretty icy uh, I think people are still ice fishing I've got some waders I might have to to go do a little bit of river angling I think okay and then I've got some new music for you today so as always, this is the point in the show where I highly recommend pausing the podcast, pouring yourself a nice iced tea, cup of coffee, I don't know, I don't know, whatever it is that that you might in, enjoy while you listen to some classical guitar music. I always enjoy chamber music featuring guitar. absolutely love guitar and violin duos, guitar and flute duos. A piece I played with my daughter, the Tedesco Fantasy for Guitar and Piano. These are wonderful ways to feature classical guitar that I feel like you don't hear as much. You know, I mean, and guitar is such a perfect solo instrument, so that's okay. Oh, the noise is back. Okay. So anyway, the, the guitar featured like anytime you hear like classical guitar featured in movies it'll sometimes have like or orchestra behind it or something but a lot of the time it's solo anyway the guitar is a perfect instrument for solo playing it is in my opinion the ultimate solo instrument but i do love a good guitar chamber ensemble i mean i like a guitar ensemble but i'm talking about like guitar uh, being complemented by other instruments and complementing other instruments so I, with that being said, I haven't actually heard this. All I mean, I give it a little glance, but I I like to listen to the pieces as much as possible along with you right now. So I'm looking forward to this. 
This uh, email here comes from Graham Campbell. He says, Hi Chris, I recently discovered your podcast and I think it's really cool. It's nice to hear some music I would otherwise have no idea about. I would like to submit a piece for your consideration. Palms Upward is a piece written for clarinet, violin, viola, two classical guitars, and double bass. It's a programmatic piece based on my experience with the practice of meditation. I had the idea for the piece while meditating outdoors with my eyes open, watching clouds drift by. The piece opens with two overlapping guitars. As one fades out, the other fades in. I was trying to capture the feeling of watching the clouds come into my field of vision and then slowly moving on. When the clarinet comes in with the simple three-note motif, it's like a little thought entering the mind and taking the focus away from the present moment. As the strings join, it's as if the little thought is becoming bigger. The middle section, full of space, is a return to the present moment, but inevitably, the thoughts start to creep in again. When the final climax is reached, the piece is interrupted by a bell, represented by the guitars playing harmonics. The guitarists on the recording are a duo named Chroma Duo. Their names are Rob McDonald and Tracy Ann Smith. Thanks. And thank you, Graham. I believe Graham comes to us from Toronto. And if you go to classicalguitarcomposers.com, I'll include a link to Graham's website, and I encourage you to check that out. So with that, here is Palms Upward by Graham Campbell.
And there it is. We've just heard Palms Upward by Graham Campbell. Thank you, Graham. With that, I'm going to call this a show. Once again, if you go to classicalguitarcomposers.com, you can click on the link for this show. Under episode 49, uh, there will be a link to Graham's website. And while you're there, go ahead and check out that link that says Sheet Music. If you're a classical guitarist interested in uh, purchasing some classical guitar pieces you've never played before, I recommend a few of mine. They're available on there. You just click that link, Sheet Music, and that's a, a place you can purchase a few guitar pieces, and that's a great way to help out this show. But thank you all for joining me. I'll be back with another show next month. Until then, keep on plucking.